0: Hello folks and welcome back to Bible in a Year. Today is day 336. We are starting off with 2nd Maccabees chapters 11 through 12. Very soon after this, Lysias, the king's guardian and kingsman, who was in charge of the government, being vexed at what had happened, gathered about 80,000 men and all his cavalry and came against the Jews. He intended to make the city a home for Greeks, and to levy tribute on the temple as he did on the sacred places of the other nations, and to put up the high priesthood for sale every year. He took no account whatever of the power of God, but was elated with his ten thousand infantry, and his thousands of cavalry, and his eighty elephants. Invading Judea he approached Bethzur, which was a fortified place about five leagues from Jerusalem, and pressed it hard. When Maccabeus and his men got word that Lysias was besieging the strongholds, they and all the people, with lamentations and tears, besought the Lord to send a good angel to save Israel. Maccabeus himself was the first to take up arms, and he urged the others to risk their lives with him to aid their brethren. Then they eagerly rushed off together. And there, while they were still near Jerusalem, a horseman appeared at their head, clothed in white and brandishing weapons of gold. And they all together praised the merciful God, and were strengthened in heart, ready to assail not only men, but the wildest beasts or walls of iron. They advanced in battle order, order, having their heavenly ally, for the Lord had mercy on them. They hurled themselves like lions against the enemy, and and slew eleven thousand of them and sixteen hundred horsemen, and forced all the rest to flee. Most of them got away stripped and wounded, and Lysias himself escaped by disgraceful flight. And as he was not without intelligence, he pondered over the defeat which had befallen him, and realized that the Hebrews were invincible because the mighty God fought on their side. So he sent to them, and persuaded them to settle everything on just terms, promising that he would persuade the king, constraining him to be their friend. Maccabeus, having regard for the common good, agreed to all that Lysias urged, for the king granted every request on behalf of the Jews which Maccabeus delivered to Lysias in writing. The letter written to the Jews by Lysias was to this effect. Lysias, to the people of the Jews, greeting. John and Absalom, who were sent by you, have delivered your signed communication and have asked about the matters indicated therein. I have informed the king of everything that needed to be brought before him, and he has agreed to what was possible. If you will maintain your goodwill toward the government, I will endeavor for the future to help promote your welfare. And concerning these matters and their details, I have ordered these men and my representatives to confer with you. Farewell. The 148th year, Dioscorinthius, 24. The king's letter ran thus King Antiochus to his brother Lysias, greeting. Now that our father has gone on to the gods, we desire that the subjects of the kingdom be undisturbed in caring for their own affairs. We have heard that the Jews do not consent to our fathers' change to Greek customs, but prefer their own way of living, and ask that their own customs be allowed them. Accordingly, since we choose that this nation also be free from disturbance, our decision is that their temple be restored to them, and that they live according to the customs of their ancestors. You will do well, therefore, to send word to them and give them pledges of friendship, so that they may know our policy and be of good cheer, and go on happily in the conduct of their own affairs. To the nation, the king's letter was as follows. King Antiochus, to the senate of the Jews and to the other Jews, greeting, If you are well, it is as we desire. We also are in good health. Menelaus has informed us that you wish to return home and look after your own affairs. Therefore, those who go home by the thirtieth day of Xanthicus will have our pledge of friendship and full permission, for the Jews to enjoy their own food and laws just as formerly, and none of them shall be molested in any way for what he may have done in ignorance." I have also sent Menelaus to encourage you. Farewell, the one hundred and forty-eighth year, Xanthicus fifteenth. The Romans also sent them a letter, which read thus, Quintus Memmius and Titus Manius, envoys of the Romans, to the people of the Jews, greeting. With regard to what Lysias, the kingsman of the king, has granted you, we also give consent. But as to the matters which he decided are to be referred to the king, as soon as you have considered them, send someone promptly, so that we may make proposals appropriate for you, for we are on our way to Antioch. Therefore, make haste and send some men, so that we may have our judgment, your judgment. Farewell, the 148th year, Xanthicus 15th. When this agreement had been reached, Lysias returned to the king, and the Jews went about their farming. But some of the governors in various places, Timothy and Apollonius, the son of Gnaeus, as well as Hieronymus and Demophon, in addition to these, Nicanor, the governor of Cyprus, would not let them live quietly and in peace. And some men of Joppa did so ungodly a deed as this. They invited the Jews who lived among them to embark with their wives and children on boats which they had provided, as though they were no ill will to the Jews. And this was done by public vote of the city. And when they accepted, because they wished to live peaceably and suspected nothing, the men of Joppa took them out to sea and drowned them, not less than two hundred. When Judas heard of the cruelty visited on his countrymen, he gave orders to his men, and calling upon God the righteous judge, attacked the murderers of his brethren. He set fire to the harbor by night, and burned the boats, and massacred those who had taken refuge there. Then, because the city's gates were closed, he withdrew, intending to come again and root out the whole community of Joppa. But learning that the men of Jamnia meant in the same way to wipe out the Jews who were living among them, he attacked the people of Jamnia by night and set fire to the harbor and the fleet, so that the glow of the light was seen in Jerusalem, thirty miles distant. When they had gone more than a mile from there, on their march against Timothy, no less than five thousand Arabs with five hundred horsemen attacked them. After a hard fight, Judas and his men won the victory by the help of God. The defeated nomads besought Judas to grant them pledges of friendship, promising to give him cattle and to help his people in all other ways. Judas, thinking that they might really be useful in many ways, agreed to make peace with them, and after receiving his pledges they departed to their tents. He also attacked a certain city which was strongly fortified with earthworks and walls and inhabited by all sorts of gens- Gentiles. Its name was Caspin. And those who were within, relying on the strength of the walls and on their supply of provisions, behaved most insolently toward Judas and his men, railing at them and even blaspheming and saying unholy things. But Judas and his men, calling upon the great sovereign of the world, who without battering rams or engines of war overthrew Jericho in the days of Joshua, rushed furiously upon the walls. (coughs) They took the city by the will of God and slaughtered untold numbers, so that the adjoining lake, a quarter of a mile wide, appeared to be running over with blood. When they had gone ninety-five miles from there, they came to Charax, to the Jews who were called Tubayani. They did not find Timothy in that region, for he had by then departed from the region without accomplishing anything, though in one place he had left a very strong garrison. Dosotheus and Sosipater— who were captains under Macabeus marched out and destroyed those whom Timothy had left in the stronghold, more than ten thousand men. But Macabeus arranged his army in divisions, sent men in command of the divisions, and hastened after Timothy, who had with him a hundred and twenty thousand infantry and two thousand five hundred cavalry. When Timothy learned of the approach of Judas, he sent off the women and children and also the baggage to a place called Karnaim, for that place was hard to besiege and difficult to access because of the narrowness of all the approaches. But when Judas's first division appeared, terror and fear came over the enemy at the manifestation to them of him who sees all things, and they rushed off in flight and were swept away, this way and that, so that often they were injured by their own men and pierced by the points of their swords." And Judas pressed the pursuit with the utmost vigor, putting the sinners to the sword, and destroying as many as thirty thousand men. Timothy himself fell into the hands of Dosotheus and Susipater and their men. With great guile he besought them to let him go in safety, because he held the parents of most of them, and the brothers of some, and no consideration would be shown them. And when with many words he had confirmed his solemn promise to restore them unharmed, they let him go, for the sake of saving their brethren." Then Judas marched against Carnaim and the temple of Atargatis and slaughtered (coughs) 25,000 people. After the rout and destruction of these, he marched also against Ephron, a fortified city where Lysias dwelt with multitudes of people of all nationalities. Stalwart young men took their stand before the walls and made a vigorous defense, and great stores of war engines and missiles were there. But the Jews called upon the sovereign who with power shatters the might of his enemies, and they got the city into their hands, and killed as many as twenty five thousand of those who were within it. Setting out from there they hastened to Scythopolis, Sithopo- which is twenty five miles from Jerusalem. But when the Jews who dwelt there bore witness to the good will which the people of Scythopolis had shown them and their kind treatment of them in times of misfortune, they thanked them and exhorted them to be well disposed to their race in the future also. Then they went up to Jerusalem, as the Feast of Weeks was close at hand. After the feast called Pentecost, they hastened against Gorgias, the governor of Idumea, Ed- and he came out with three thousand infantry and four hundred cavalry. When they joined battle, it happened that a few of the Jews fell. But a certain Dositheus, one of Bacchanor's men, who was on horseback and was a strong man, caught hold of Gorgias and, grasping his cloak, was dragged him drag, was dragging him off by main strength, wishing to take the accursed man alive. When one of the Thracian horsemen bore down upon him and cut off his arm, so Gorgias escaped and reached Marisa. As Esdras and his men had been fighting for a long time and were weary, Judas called upon the Lord to show himself and their ally and leader in the battle. In the language of their fathers he raised the battle cry with hymns, then he charged against Georgius's men, when they were not expecting it, and put them to flight. Then Judas assembled his army and went to the city of Adulam. At the seventh day was coming on they purified themselves according to the custom and they kept the Sabbath there. On the next day, as by that time it had become necessary, Judas and his men went to take up the bodies of the fallen and to bring them back to lie with their kinsmen in the sepulchres of their fathers." Then, under the tunic of every one of the dead, they found sacred tokens of the idols of Jamnia, which the law forbids the Jews to wear, and it became clear to all that this was why these men had fallen. So they all blessed the ways of the Lord, the righteous judge, who reveals the things that are hidden. And they turned to prayer, beseeching that the sin which had been committed might be wholly blotted out, and the noble Judas exhorted the people to keep themselves free from sin, for they had seen with their own eyes what had happened because of the sin of those who had fallen. He also took up a collection, man by man, to the amount of two thousand drachmas of silver, and sent it to Jerusalem to provide for a sin offering. In doing this he acted very well and honorably, taking account of the resurrection. For if he were not expecting that those who had fallen would rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. But if he was looking to the splendid reward that is laid up for those who fall asleep in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. Therefore he made atonement for the dead, that they might be delivered from their sin. Our next reading is Sirach, chapter 35. He who keeps the law makes many offerings. He who heeds the commandments sacrifices a peace offering. He who returns a kindness offers fine flour, and he who gives alms sacrifices a thank offering. To keep from wickedness is pleasing to the Lord, and to forsake unrighteousness is atonement. Do not appear before the Lord empty-handed, For all these things are to be done because of the commandment. The offering of a righteous man anoints the altar, and its pleasing odor rises before the Most High. The sacrifice of a righteous man is acceptable, and the memory of it will not be forgotten. Glorify the Lord generously, and do not stint the first fruits of your hands. With every gift show a cheerful face, and dedicate your tithe with gladness. Give to the Most High as He has given, and as generously as your hand has found. For the Lord is the one who repays, and he will repay you sevenfold. Do not offer him a bribe, for he will not accept it. And do not trust to an unrighteous sacrifice, for the Lord is the judge, and with him is no partiality. He will show partiality in the case of a poor man, and he will listen to the prayer of the one who is wronged. He will not ignore the supplication of the fatherless, nor the widow when she pours out her story. Do not the tears of the widow run down her cheek as she cries out against him who has caused them to fall? He whose service is pleasing to the Lord will be accepted, and his prayer will reach to the clouds. The prayer of the humble pierces the clouds, and he will not be consoled until it reaches the Lord. He will not desist until the Most High visits him and does justice for the righteous and executes judgment. And the Lord will not delay, neither will he be patient with them, till he crushes the loins of the unmerciful and repays vengeance on the nations, till he takes away the multitude of the insolent and breaks the scepters of the unrighteous, till he repays the man according to his deeds and the works of men according to their their devices, till he judges the case of his people and makes them rejoice in his mercy. Mercy is as welcome when he afflicts them as clouds of rain in the time of drought. Our last reading for today is John chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works you are doing. For no man works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that it work, that its works are evil. Go to the feast yourselves. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. So saying, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, He is a good man, and others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. That is everything for today. I hope you have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.